Our guest speaker today is Randy Ponthe. Uh, Randy is Senior Vice President with Southern Heritage Bank. He's a graduate of Menard High School in Alexandria and LSU in Baton Rouge. He serves his community by serving on the boards of both the United Way and the Rotary Club of Alexandria. He's a deacon and substitute Sunday school teacher over at Calvary Baptist in Alexandria. Randy enjoys playing golf, prefers to meet his clients there on the golf course, and he also enjoys hunting and fishing, and he and his wife Brandy have two teenage sons. So please join me in welcoming Randy Ponty. All right, so I've had several people already say we're going to have a question and answer. So uh, we maybe just start with that. I think some people want to try and, you know, embarrass me and catch me off guard, and that's not hard to do. But, uh, but I would like to open it up. If anybody has anything, I'm going to constantly look up. If you've got a question or a comment, add to it. It would be better for the whole group. But uh, it was really interesting preparing for this. Uh, my first choice was to talk about kind of control and uh, giving up control and surrendering to God. But John Marquez knocked that out of the park. He covered it. So I had to, oh, no, what am I going to talk about now? So uh, with doing what I do and just praying about it, I think this is where God led me to go. So we're going to talk about God or money. Uh, and about uh, more so within that is not being deceived. So let's not deceive ourselves. So first, let me start with a question. Uh, does anyone know, other than Pastor, how many scriptures in the Bible deal with money and possessions? Anybody have a guess of how many? Just a guess. A lot. A lot more than 150. Anybody else? Uh, over 2,000. Okay, so does that mean it's important? I mean, there's more scriptures about money and possession than there is about heaven and hell. Very important. Now, when it comes to God or money, it's not something that we really have to think about before we answer, right? I think everybody in here uh, is going to say God first, right? And then money well after that. So it's not something we really have to think about before we answer. But I will say this. It's a constant balancing act. No matter who you are or what you do, there's always that temptation to put money ahead of God at certain points. There might be something you want. You might have a weak moment. But somehow, at some point in our life, we kind of mess up on that balancing act and we put money ahead of God. Okay, so what I'm going to suggest to you is that we just have moments where we drift away. So let's go to Scripture. All right, James 1 says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So it's something that's some, very often a progression, right? We kind of start here and, hey, I'm attached to God, and then just a little temptation and a little bit of dragging away. Next thing you know, um, our desire it gives birth to sin, and I'm going to call it financial sin today. And then sin, full grown, gives birth to death. Another scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So we know that one, but the point is your heart. Where is your heart? Matthew 13, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness 
of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So we hear the word, and we agree with it, right? We hear it, we agree, we're all in, but then we get deceived. So the hard part is the obedience. We hear, but do we obey? And um, that's the key. Jeremiah 17, the human mind is more deceitful than anything else. It is incurably bad. Who can understand it? So now, based on what we've talked about so far, this is not scripture. These are my thoughts. As a good Christian, and I would assume that most of us here are good Christians, we never really leave God. We don't just say, God, get away. I'm going after money. It's not like that. We don't knowingly or intentionally take him off of our priority list. But we do exchange him for what we value most at the time. So what are our values? What are our priorities? Don't deceive yourself. At the root of our financial sins is a heart that does not treasure God over everyone else and everything else. This begins with our thoughts and our emotions and what we truly value. So be on guard, guard your heart, and don't be deceived. Now, has anyone in here ever deceived themselves financially? Okay? Just in case you're out there thinking, no, I haven't. I've got this figured out. Let's just see. Have you ever purchased anything that you wish you had never bought? Or maybe you paid too much for it. Basically, buyer's remorse. If so, then you've probably deceived yourself. Okay? Have you ever purchased anything that you've never used or never worn? Maybe you deceived yourself. Have you ever purchased something that you won't let others borrow? I love that test. If you're not willing to let somebody borrow it, I heard a pastor say one time, then don't buy it, right? And we've all kind of been there. Maybe it was a long time ago, but it's like, I got this new thing. I'll let them borrow the old one, but not the new one, okay? Uh, Have you ever bought anything after you said, I'm not going to buy that? You know, a lot of times I think of a car. I'm not ready to buy, and then you end up buying. You deceive yourself. Have you ever used debt to buy something when you know you should have waited? Maybe you've deceived yourself. Okay, what about others? Have we ever deceived others? Okay, here's some stats I got uh, from actually Jeff Drawn's little newsletter. But uh, it had a little section in there It says, uh, where people lie. There was a study on how and when people will lie about financial issues. First one, you see logging on to someone else's retail or media account to avoid subscri- subscription fees. Right? That's kind of what you do now, but I think about in the old days, they had those cable boxes and everybody had that little chip. You get that little chip and you cheat and you get all the ch- cable channels for free. So just anything like that. You're actually deceiving others. Okay? I get this a lot as a banker not reporting under-the-table income to avoid income taxes. Can't tell you how many times I hear, oh, well, here's what the business makes, but it really makes more than that. I don't report it all, okay? Well, we're actually being deceptive. Lying about your age or your children's age to receive a discount at a restaurant or retailer, <laughs> right? So some of these seem pretty innocent, but it's still deception, Okay. Uh, Mr. Bates, you might appreciate this one. Uh, lying about your annual mileage to lower your auto insurance rates. People will lie about that. Those are the percentages. 
lying about income on a car, uh, on a uh, loan or a credit card application, lying about smoking uh, to lower your life insurance rates, right? Now, the good news is, ladies, the ratios of the financial deceitfulness was much less. The men were actually higher, so these averages were for both, but the ladies were less. And then also, the retired guys, if you're over 65, there was much less deceit when you were over 65. That's right, they already get too many discounts, right? I saw a sign the other day, it said, uh, uh, there are no senior citizen discounts because you've had twice as long as everybody else to save up to get enough money to pay for it. So that was interesting. All right, uh, I want to go over some common sayings, some uh, falsehoods, and some truths. Okay, one uh, to me is real easy and common. It's uh, guns kill people. Y'all heard that. Uh, but people kill people. Uh, guns are just the means that people use to kill people. You hear that's about money. Money is evil. Okay. Money's not evil. Money is the vehicle that people use to fulfill their desires and what they value. So if you've got evil desires, then it's going to be evil. But if you've got good desires, money can be used for good. Here's another falsehood. Money can't make you happy. Well, if anybody wants to give me about a million dollars and we'll test it out, because it can make you happy. Money can make you happy, but only for a little while. Okay? It does not provide the joy. It's just some short-term happiness. <clears throat> I like this skit, and if you can't read it, it says, Remember, son, money can't buy happiness, but it pays for a lot of antidepressants. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about some financial psychology. So what's going on behind the scenes and in our brains sometimes? A lot of people value money in and of itself. They think money itself is really valuable. Uh, but we've got to remember that money is not backed by gold, silver, or any tangible commodity. It doesn't have a value in and of itself. A $5 bill is just a piece of paper. It's only valuable because you're willing to accept it as that value. Okay? Some use money to control others, and others feel controlled by their money. But in reality, we control our thoughts, our feelings, our opinions, our expectations around money. We can actually rewire that. We're in control of that. Or potentially we can be in control of that. Okay, so where do our beliefs come from? Okay, there's kind of two views going on right now. One is that it's learned during childhood. That's been the age-old belief. So you learn it, you're exposed to it, and you either mimic what you were taught or you rebel against it and do the opposite. So if you had a parent that was a saver, if you rebel against it, you'll be a spendthrift, vice versa. Now, some experts are saying that it's more dependent upon brain chemistry, what your natural traits are, and then that relates into how you handle money. Anybody know about the uh, marshmallow experiment that was done in the 60s with kids? It was really interesting. They uh, did an experiment, uh, it was Stanford that did it, with nursery school children and a tray of goodies. And what they would do is they would offer them one treat now, or they had to wait a period of time, like 10 minutes, or, and they would get twice as much. Those that waited, they went back and followed them in adulthood. Those that were able to wait as youth were able to better uh, handle money, right? So it's just the uh, ability to delay that gratitude. 
okay? Uh, some traits affecting your psychology in money, but in everything else too. You're either optimistic or pessimistic, right? That has a big bearing on how you handle money. Loss aversion, which is the feeling of pain of the loss more than the happiness of the gain. Uh, I hear this a lot with like weight gain, right? Uh, if you're wanting to lose weight, are you going to focus on the exercise and are you going to focus on cutting back eating? Or are you going to focus on the gain that you're going to get at the end? So what's your perception? So they call that loss aversion. Status quo. Do you just want to keep things the way they are? Maybe you're afraid of change. Uh, are you stressed? Or are you relaxed? That affects you know, how you're going to handle money. Are you a confident person or are you insecure? That affects how you handle money. Uh, these are a couple of good things I've found uh, that studies revealed about money and wealth. Uh, without going into the details of the studies, one study said that uh, wealth might be at odds with empathy and compassion. So what the study said was the more wealthy you are, the less empathy and compassion you have. And the people that are poorer have more empathy and compassion. Um, wealth can cloud moral judgment. Another study said that by just thinking about money, it could lead to unethical behavior. Of course, that's constant thinking. Uh, the pursuit of wealth itself can also become a compulsive behavior. You could be addicted to it. Okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about behaviors. Behaviors. So some are frugal. Some are savers, tight, hoarders. But I love that. Some people just say, well, I'm a saver, because that sounds so much better than what they're really doing is hoarding the money. So be careful. Right? Sometimes we'll use a little terminology so that we can, again, deceive ourselves. Okay? Some people are the opposite. They're spendthrifts. They're impulsive. Some people are rational with their money, analytical, while others are irrational and more emotional. So be on guard with that. So going over that real quickly, I want you to all think for a second about your beliefs about money. What are your behaviors? Think about your checkbook. Think about how generous you might be. Think about how you are and just realize that there is a way to rewire that in your brain. And just ask yourself, is there any need for any adjustment or am I good? And if there's some need for adjustments, just make the adjustments. Okay, so let's go into some things about what money is not. Money is not evil. Money does not make decisions. Money does not have emotions. Money by itself is not greedy. It's not generous, and it's not loving, money by itself. But what money does do, it reveals our heart. Okay, so if we're greedy and selfish, that's how we're going to use our money. Or if we're loving and generous, we can use money in that way. Money goes where you tell it to go. You don't just wake up one day and the money's not there. It went where you told it to go. And where it's going to go, it's going to go to where your values and your priorities are deep down in your heart. That's what we need to focus on. So for many people, there's really no connection between their financial lives and their spiritual lives. But there should be. There has to be. Okay? So be sure you don't find yourself in that trap where you begin to separate the two. How do we use our money? Uh, how we use it and where we use it just determines, again, what we believe. 
Some people are okay talking about God, but when you bring in their personal bank account, they're not so interested in talking about God. One of the greatest tools of the evil one is secrecy. It doesn't matter what the sin is, the financial sin, some other addiction, whatever it is, the evil one loves secrecy. All right, so we shouldn't be afraid to talk about Jesus in our house, and we should not be afraid to talk about money. Y'all knew I had to come with this verse, right? Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, so we've heard this, but just to give it a little bit more impact, who really said that? You cannot serve God in money. Quote, Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate authority right there. All right. Any questions, comments to this point? All right. Let's talk about debt. Debt. And I got another banker here that can help correct me, too, if I get out of line. So help me out here, Chuck. Pros and cons of debt. All right. Biggest negative, again, we'll go to Scripture. Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I think sometimes we don't necessarily see that relationship that way. We just kind of think about it as a natural way of doing business. But this is a real relationship. This is a real relationship. And, it, and if you, if you want to really drill down into that a little bit, think about how you feel sometimes when you get a credit card bill or you get a late notice. In the, you're not overjoyed. It's not a loving relationship. It gives you some anxiety, possibly. So it is a dangerous situation, and it can create a slave-master relationship. Now, the problem with that relationship is it leads to worry, fear, anxiety, stress, pressure, and resentment. And these get in the way of your relationship with God. They get in, your, in the way of your relationship with others. Right? Even your spouse, if you're fighting about money, that gets in the way of your relationship. Now, I love this. We even have a credit card that hints at that relationship, right? Master card. I love that. All right, here's a positive. We all know this. It can allow us to acquire a necessity that we need now house, education, car. So there can be some good benefits to debt. Again, you got to be careful. Uh, debt uh, allows for controlled business growth, feeling some short-term needs. So it does have its place. It can be done. But the best debt of all is not financial debt. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves Others has fulfilled the law. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Okay, so I hinted at what debt can hinder just a little while ago. Debt can hinder your relationship with God. It can keep you from having peace and freedom. And it can keep you from being generous. Okay. It affects us with worry because if we're worrying over our debt, we can't function in other areas. It can overcome our lives. It can take away from our future, right? 
Debt can take over our thoughts and future decisions because what debt really is, when you borrow now, you're reaching into the future and you're grabbing cash, you're grabbing income, and you're using it now. Right? So it's taken away from the future to do something now. Focus, it can uh, affect your focus. If you're focused on your financial worries, you're not focusing on God. Peace, when we pile on too much debt, we become trapped, robbing us of our peace. The big one here is generosity. If we commit our funds to debt, then we don't have as much funds or any funds for giving and helping others. And many times when we incur debt, it's just for us. We're not incurring debt for others to give to others, right? It's just for us. All right, here's some stats on debt. First one's credit card debt. Now, this isn't everybody. This is an average of the people who hold credit card debt. So if you hold credit card debt, the average of, of debt that is held is almost 17000 Mortgage debt. Average person has about 176000 in uh, mortgage debt. This is nationwide. Auto loans, nearly 30000 Student loans, almost 50000 And of the people who have credit card debt, <clears throat> they typically have more than one card. But per card, per year, they pay about $1,300 in interest per card per year really adds up okay well if debt's so dangerous how do i avoid it here's how you avoid debt number one have an emergency fund depending on who you talk to they'll tell you three months four months i just said three to six months worth of you know <clears throat> emergency funds to cover your monthly expenses have a budget analyze your income and expenses i'll say it again know where your money's going um, have a budget. Many people think, oh, I don't want to do that. It's restricting, but it's really liberating. Once you have your budget and you follow it, it's freedom. It's liberating. Live within your means. We say that, but do we do it? Don't buy what you can't afford. Spend less than what you make. In fact, even if you can afford it, maybe it's a lease on a new vehicle. You got it worked out. You can afford it. Maybe you should just tell yourself no. But take it to God first. Take it to God first. Maybe he'll tell you no. All right, on budgeting, I like this. Give 10%, save 10%, and spend the 80%. But even then, be careful. Because like the Bible says, God's concerned with your heart. So even that 80% doesn't mean it's all you. doesn't mean you just take it and spend all 80% on yourself. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Okay, I know I got a group of retirement folks here, so I'm going to try and pick on them for a little bit. Matthew 9, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. <clears throat> for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I know it kind of indicates, well, it says don't store up for yourself and all that. Good news is there's only one story in the Bible where God told somebody to sell everything, right? Fortunately, there's only one story. But that's because that's, that's where that guy's heart was, right? That's where his heart was. If his heart would have been somewhere else and he struggled somewhere else, God would have told him that. But um, fortunately, this verse does not say that you can't retire and, and plan. But it really, as I understand it, it means to lay up horizontally, as in permanently, so it's to over-accumulate and to accumulate for the wrong reasons, right? If you 
researching the Bible. It's got this story of the guy that had too much grain. He filled his storage houses and then built another one. That's kind of what it's talking about. If you got enough, you got enough. All right. I like this little cartoon. A couple of old people going through their bills. And uh, he says to her, we need to move back in with your parents. <laughs> so the point is, budgeting still applies during retirement. I like this one, too. This guy's, he says, number one, going to bed early, not leaving my house, not going to a party. My childhood punishments have become my retirement goals. All right, let's talk about generosity. Generosity. Love this quote from Winston Churchill. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. It's deep. I love that. And I like this cute one here. This girl's got a uh, lemonade stand, and she's got 15 cents for lemonade. Five cents goes to God and 10 cents for me. She calls that a profit sharing plan. All right, generosity. There's only one antidote to greed and materialism. Only one way to get rid of greed and materialism, and that's generosity. But the problem is, if you've got greed and materialism, the last thing you want to do is be generous, but you got to do it. All right, so every time you're generous, you get a spiritual victory in your heart. Your heart grows, and you break the grip of materialism on your life. A couple of scriptures here. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. I like that. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Be generous. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Some pretty good promises there. I like this one, too. This covers, this covers it all for me. Um, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You don't even have to believe that. You don't even have to agree with it for it to happen. It is true. It is a fact, whether you believe it or you participated in it or not. That's the way it works. I like this. Verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. That's awesome. That's budgeting, right? So you've already decided in your heart. So you've made a budget. You sat down. You figured out what your priorities are, right? We talked about that. If we ask what's more important, God or money, you're going to say God. But in the heat of the moment, when you're tempted, what are you going to say? So if you have a budget, it holds you to it. You've already made your priorities. You've made your budgeting. Now you can be generous. And then the end of that, uh, you can be generous on every occasion. <clears throat> All right. Now, talking a little bit about the rich and the wealthy. Who in here is rich and wealthy? Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Nobody wants to raise their hand. Most people are kind of like, I'm one step away from being rich. All I need is money. That's how most of us might think sometimes. Or we think, hey, I know about 10 other folks that have way more than me. They're the ones that are rich, not me. But let's do a few test questions on that. Okay? Did anyone today have to worry about food or clothing before they got here? If you didn't, you're probably rich. Okay? Do you have air conditioning? Yeah, if you do, you're probably rich. By, by worldwide standards, just having air conditioning is rich. In fact, some people have a house that's so big, they've got more than one unit. So if you've got two air conditioning units, you're really rich. 
Okay? What about your car? Do you park your car in a nice little house, maybe has a roof and some walls, sometimes a door? If you've got a house for your car, you might be rich. Okay? Have you ever driven a vehicle to the dealership and then driven off in a nicer vehicle? You're probably rich. Same thing with your phone. Taking a perfectly good phone that's working good and you come out with a better phone. But what do we call that? We call those upgrades. Well, I'm just upgrading, right? That's how we can deceive ourselves from being rich, right? Okay. Do you have money for tomorrow? Retirement, savings, even just lunch money for tomorrow. You're rich by worldwide standards. So enough of the questions. I could go on. But now we can all admit that everybody in here is rich. Now, what does that mean? That means that all the scriptures in the Bible that talk about rich now apply to you. Changes everything. Right? Because I know we usually read them and say, well, that applies to that rich guy that I know, not me. Be careful. You'll be deceiving yourself. 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world. Well, we just established the fact that everybody in here is rich. So, command everybody not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Why? Because it's so uncertain. Then what do we do? We put our hope in God, who so richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be willing and generous to share. There again, it, don't buy something you can't be generous and share. Okay, I love this. We all talk about making money, but you don't make money. It's already made. You attract money using the skills that God gave you. Okay, well, I got to have money, so... Is it God or money? Does it have to be God or money? Well, when it comes to your heart, yes. When it comes to your heart, it has to be God or money. Your motives, priorities, and values must be God first. That's what's best for you. That's what's eternal. Now, can we have God and money? Well, when God's the center of your lives, then money can have its good and godly place in your life. When money comes first, though, or even close, it hinders your relationship with God and with others. All of a sudden, evil desires creep in, and then financial sins. Okay, I've got a couple analogies here. I like this one. Anybody seeing this one as it relates to money? Okay, so we've got our solar system. We've got the sun in the middle. And the planets all lined up. Well, I think of it this way. God is the sun. He's the most powerful thing in this analogy. So the sun's in the middle. Think of it as though God is the sun. And on the planets, one of those is money. Right? Could be career. Could be family. Whatever. If you leave God in the center, then money has its place. Right? But if you take money out of its place and put it in the middle and then take God out and put it in and doesn't work. Everything crashes. So that's one way that I think of it. Another thing that I think of and learned a long time ago when it comes to money is the analogy of a closed fist. So if I've got my money in my hand, and that, that used to be me, by the way. You know, I've got all these departments in my life, 
well, I'd give up this to God, and well, I was getting close to God, and I was good, but I was still holding on to money, right? I let God in everywhere, but money was last for me. So the analogy was, I've got this tight grip on money, but yet, some reason, I thought I was in control. But if God wants to take the money, even though I've got my fist shut, he's going to still get it, right? Also, if I have my fist tight, I can't give to someone else. Not only that, I can't receive any money. So if I've got my hand open and I give it up, not only that, God can now add money to it. And I can also be more generous. So that's my analogy with that. And that made a big impact for me. Now, our hierarchy, according to God, he says it in the Bible, God first, others second, right? So we fall after that. Now, we say that. We know that. And isn't it interesting how God didn't have to tell us to love ourselves? He didn't have to tell us to love money. He knew it was already going to be there within ourselves. But he did have to tell us, he did have to warn us about money, right? And he knew that he needed to warn us and to guard our heart, when it comes to money and possessions. So I think that even though we know this, we have to frequently remind ourselves. This can be a daily deal for some people. could be an annual deal. Just you do your financial analysis once a year. Maybe you need to remind yourself at that point. Okay, so be careful of the love of money. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. All right, so some final thoughts. Put God first, above money, above all else. A great test, a great self-test is, do I want more money or do I want more God? I think that's a great test. Because whatever you want, whatever you want to pursue, whatever you value, that's where you're going to spend your time. Be aware of where you spend your money. Again, know where your money's going. It goes where you tell it to. Don't let money or the lack of money have control over you. Communicate with God. Take it to God. Ask God what he wants you to do with your money. And then, uh, by the way, he actually gave it to you. So it's not really your money, but we think it's our money. Get comfortable talking to God about money, all money issues. Avoid debt when possible, especially credit card debt. Be generous. Be generous to God. Be generous to others. And then once you get there, teach somebody. Teach others. Your family, friends. Teach them about the heart issues and about the dangers of deceiving yourself. And be responsible and keep God above money. Now, let's open it up to questions and comments. Anybody? Okay. Anyone? No one?
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and we love our money and we love our time. Right? But we, we can easily say we love God, but sometimes we get a little distracted. And, and, that's, and that's real. It's, it's not, I think, a fault of ourselves. We can just be deceived. We get, the world just pulls you away. Next thing you know, you're over here when you're really meant to be over here. Um, yeah, um, two things. One, number one, ask God, right? Ask God, ask God, ask God. And then, uh, number two, I say look for it. There's, there's two things I've learned about that, and that's to look for it. Because what we tend to do is we tend to get in our circle where we're around people who don't have those needs, right? We don't drive in the areas that have needs. And sometimes we'll walk by somebody who's got a need and we'll kind of want to go a different direction, right? Um, the other thing that, and I know this isn't directly to your question, but this is something that made a big impact on me, is sometimes when it comes time to give, uh, a lot of people get focused into the responsibility and analyzing what they're going to do with it. So it might be a charity. Well, what's their expense ratio, blah, blah, blah. Or the bum at the, the grocery or the, the gas station, well, he's just going to buy it on alcohol. But, you know, I love this. They said, if God put it on your heart to give, you give. If they misuse it, that's their problem, not yours. So I'm going to answer a little differently by saying that I try not to get into how to analyze where to give it. I just, uh, I'll budget, I'll pray, and then when God tells me to give it, and then if they abuse it, that's their problem, not mine. Yeah, and, 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 it, and hopefully it is your purpose, but if it's not, maybe you can dovetail and piggyback on somebody else's purpose, right? Because you might be saying, well, I don't have a purpose, so I don't have to give. No, somebody's got a purpose. Go, go jump on somebody else's purpose. That's right. And then, you know, with time and money, it's kind of the same thing with generosity, right? And it's interesting that people who have a whole lot of money and not much time in their mind, then they'll give money. They don't want to give their time. Vice versa. Somebody's got plenty of time. They don't really want to give their money. So, well, I'll give my time, right? We want to give what we got more of, right? That could be a good thing. right I take it to God I'm, I'm not ju I'm not judging that okay okay Mr. Bates
That's exactly and right. And I like, you know, thinking about back then, you know, there's two kinds of people, or at least there were back then. Now it's a little bit <clears throat> skewed and, 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 uh, and uh, blurred, but uh, there's two kinds of people, people that pay interest and people that collect interest. And which one do you want to be? Because, again, there's good debt. Uh, and when there's bad debt, I try to definitely let them know. And some listen and some don't. In fact, there's a gentleman in this room right now that came to me for a loan, and we talked about it, and he didn't get it. So uh, that's... Thank you.